Amen. Glad to be able to just look to our God who cares and is at work in our lives. May you know that in some rich ways. Well, guys, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight. So you can open up in a Bible there, or you can use the booklets that we provided as you came in the door. One way or another, we're wanting you to be in the Word of God with us. And so, again, if you want to open a Bible, there's, you can open your own. There's Bibles in front of you, in the chairs nearby, page number on the screen. Or we have these booklets, and if you haven't already seen these, these we've provided just for our time in the book of Proverbs. For each chapter of the book of Proverbs, we've printed the entire chapter uh, in a booklet so that you would be able to go and track with us and be able to hopefully just be a little bit more free than maybe you would do it in your own Bible, just making notes, circling, highlighting, however you want to process that. That's our invitation here, but we want to just quickly reach out to you guys who are online and say, same invitation. If you're needing one of those booklets or wanting them, we have them on our website. So you can go to calvaryrosal.com, go under the messages section, and and you'll find uh, tonight's message already listed there. Go to the download link, pick that, and the notes will already be there where you can download a PDF and be able to use that, uh, either printing it out or just using it on an electronic device. And so, hey, hoping if that works for you, you'd be able to join us as we're longing to go into this book and just think through the things that are there. Now, one of the reasons why, again, we're using the little booklet is we're kind of wanting to give you the way to just circle, highlight, kind of just follow along. And so I'm going to do so. You don't have to follow my pattern, but I want you to understand it. So here's a little legend. It's in the back of your booklet, too, by the way. We're going to use colors because that's easier up here on the screen. But kind of a circle and a, and a green underline for things that are good, uh, a square, a red underline for things that are bad. We'll use a little blue line there for the contrast or connection, and then purple that really focuses in on God's character. Now, in each of these, we're kind of watching for the things that God is emphasizing for us, and in a way, so we understand what God is speaking to us, but hoping in the midst of this that God would just meet us. And so, before we dive straight in with that kind of just introduction, we want to pause right now and pray. Now, I'm going to ask that God would open up His Word to us this evening, but I'm hoping you would pray it as well. Because here's what we want to have happen. We hope you understand it. We hope that as you walk through it, you go, I get it. I mean, I, I, I can look at that, and it's understandable that um, God would give us comprehension of his word. But we also are hoping that tonight God would just show you something. And the beautiful way this would work is it would be different from you for you than the person sitting next to you. We hope that maybe one of these Proverbs would just be, you know, kind of that, you know, just spotlight dropping in on your life and saying, this is what you needed right now. Uh, this is what the, the truth is needed to help shape your life. And God does that so faithfully. But what we need is the ability to hear. So I'm going to ask that God would meet us and just soften our hearts and kind of break down any hardness in us. But I'm hoping you would ask as well that God would speak to us his ways tonight. Father, right now we do come. And I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the wisdom that you present before us in the book of Proverbs. God, how we need it, how we need to be a people who walk in wisdom. Help us to understand that tonight. Help us to see it, understand it, and be able to kind of walk that through it and make sure that our lives are flowing in the direction that your word is calling us to go. But God, you're so faithful. I know that it tonight, your intention, your heart would be to speak to us. You are a God who speaks. You are a God who would draw. I would recognize, Lord, if we miss it, it's not your fault. It's ours. It would be that our heart was hardened or were distracted or some blockage happened in the midst of it. And, and yet I want to ask against that right now, that you would cause there to be nothing that would quench the work of your spirit in us right now, nothing that would be a block to hearing you, and I'm asking that tonight, for each one of us, that there would be something that would be the main thing that we needed to hear tonight, and then that would work good in us. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit's speaking. Please, now, hear, work in us. We seek it from you as we trust you in Jesus. It is through you, in your name, that we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Well, Proverbs, again, is where we are. We join tonight, picking it up where we left off uh, in the midst of this. Just there in Proverbs 12, we made it most of the way through the chapter. Uh, Tonight, we want to pick it up, uh, you know, in the midst of this. But before we go there, I want to just cause you to think about this reality. 
Words are powerful. Words are incredibly powerful. It'll say later in the book of Proverbs that death and life are in the power of the tongue. In the New Testament book that is probably most similar to the book of Proverbs, James would give it to us this way. He says, look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. There in James 3, he talks much about the tongue, but I want to just draw you to this picture because it's a powerful one. He says, I want you to imagine a ship. I want you to see this ship, this large ship that is, you know, moving and, and there's huge storms, there's waves that move it. But what directs that ship is something so small. It's a rudder. It's a little piece of metal that then becomes the direction. So you could see you know, some of the largest ships that sail in our ocean, and you would know the ability to make a turn happens because there's a rudder in the midst of that. There's a rudder that relatively small and next to the size of the ship and, and, and the place in that. But that rudder that, again, if you were to compare it, will be the thing that turns the entire ship, that changes the direction that that large sin is monstrosity can move. And James is telling us, that's the way the tongue is. That's the way the tongue is. Even so, the tongue, it's such a small thing in the scheme of things, but it can do great things. It can boast great things. It changes things. That's a truth that we need to understand. It's certainly one of the truths that are weaving its way through the book of Proverbs that we'll see over and over, but specifically in chapters 12 and 13 as we're walking through this, he's been showing us that and causing us and calling us to value just the power of words. So with that, join me. Verse 23 is where we pick up where we left off last week. We finished verse 22 last week. We pick it up in verse 23, and it simply gives it to us this way. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. So we look at this and we look at the good thing that's being held out to us, and it's a prudent or a wise, someone who, who is, who's handling life well. He says, here's the deal. He will conceal knowledge. That part of the power of words for him are the things that he doesn't say, things that he could say but withholds that and holds back from saying everything that's on his heart or mind coming in the midst of it, but in contrast. He says the heart of fools, the, the ones who lacks that wisdom, they just proclaim that, that they proclaim foolishness, that it flows out of everything that they are. And so we, again, come to this place where God is calling us to recognize the power of words, that the, the flippancy, which was some would just speak everything that's in their heart and mind, would be something that Proverbs was saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't make it so that you, if you really are prudent, there would be things that you would say, I, I didn't say it. And again, that would be even just valuable sometimes, that you just recognize, you know, I thought about saying that. It's probably not the right thing to say. I'm not going to say it. I hope you know what that is. I hope you know what it is to just not say things. I hope you're not the person that's like, I just blurted it all out. I mean, this is all out there because Proverbs is saying that's not a wise place. That's a foolish way to live, and words become incredibly destructive. Well, leaving that, verse 24, it continues this call for wisdom to us, and it says, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be forced to labor. He says, when you look at this and the place of it, he says, the hand of the diligent, the one who is faithful, who is careful and intentional in the way they walk through their life. He says that really moves towards success. That really moves to places, and that's just a simple reality in life, that faithfulness, that faithfulness really is the driving factor uh, of just being able to move forward. It's not really ability. It's not really, you know, always skill. It really is being, hey, you know, just being diligent about that. The contrast to that, the but, he says, is the person who's lazy, The person who allows laziness to kind of control their life says that lazy person will be be put to forced labor, that it's going to very different directions. So the wisdom of life is calling us again to this place of saying, hey, we want to walk in faithfulness. We want to walk in those things. And that laziness is certainly being held out to us as something that is not the ideal life. Now, we've said this a bunch of times, so I'm just going to quickly touch on it. You just need to hear that. 
I mean, just, I'm just hoping you need, to, you need to hear that because you have a world that's telling you the opposite. You have a world, by the world philosophy, would tell you that laziness is like the best way to live. Like if you could just, you know, get past your years of working and, you know, retire at 35 and spend the rest of your days being lazy, like that would be real life. I just want to tell you, it really wouldn't. I mean, it really wouldn't. It's not that retirement's bad. It's just for even when you retire, you kind of move into another place where you're not called to laziness, that there is a space of being faithful and busy and, you know, about the life that God would have for you. And it's just one of those places that I'm hoping you go, of course, that's, I, I, I get that. I know that laziness wouldn't go well for me. And Proverbs is telling us that. God is telling us that that's true in our lives. Well, flip your page. Page nine in your booklets there, chapter, verse 20, 25, he gives it to us this way. Anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety. Anxiety that lists, it just kind of exists there in the heart of man. By the way, quick pause. It's a real deal. I, I don't think there's probably anybody here in this room tonight that's like, man, I don't know anything about that. I'm, I'm not anxious over anything. I don't ever get there. No, that's not true. We live in a world where there's so many things that can create stress or fear or worry. Bible has a lot to say about this. Tell, you know, David would say, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, God's, God's comforts delight his soul. Sometimes it's just that place of just recognizing that Jesus would speak about that, and yet the Bible would call us to handle those anxieties well. You know, tell us, Paul would say in the book of Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. It's not condemning us for anxiety. It's just telling us what you should do with them. Like those things should become powerful prayers. And so again, all the way through the Bible, we get this picture of that place of of stress or anxiety and how we work that through. And there's definitely good means for doing that. Again, Paul would tell us it should become prayer. But what he's showing us, what God is showing us here in Proverbs is a very simple picture. He just simply says it this way, anxiety in the heart of man, it just causes depression. I just want you to just look at that for a moment and just say, that's true. I mean, I don't know that, you know, hopefully most of you this evening could be a little bit honest and say, you know, it's true. If I allow anxiety to become dominant in a day or it begins to, it, it just, it, it brings in a weight it brings in a depression. It brings in a, a place of doing that. It's what it does. That's what fear and anxiety do. And, and just in that sense, it's helpful just to, to look at this and say, okay, that's not just some of us. That really is what anxiety can do. And so just noting that, it's not, a, it's not saying it's a good thing necessarily. It's just telling us, hey, that's a statement of fact. Boy, you let anxiety get in there. It will just put a downpull on your heart and pull a downpull on your life. But here's where Proverbs wants to come. He says, but but in contrast to that, a good word, just a simple good word could change it all, could, could change everything. That good word could look at this heart, and that good word can make somebody glad. Hey, again, I'm just pausing to tell you, your tongue is powerful. Your tongue is powerful. A, you know, like a, a rudder of a ship, it can change the direction both of your life, but of also others. And maybe you knew this. Maybe this is something you've been able to see, but I'm just telling you, you should value this. You should value your ability to speak into other people's lives. And you should be open to giving them a good word. I mean, you could change somebody's world. You could change their life, but sometimes you could just change their day. You know, that by, by taking a moment just to, to, to speak and allow that, when you find somebody who's just worried and anxious, and, and you use your words well, and, and you remind them of God's faithfulness, of, of God's love, of God's power, of God's work in the world, something, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's an amazing thing how that you could watch this happen. That again, for some of you, you'll just, you, you know exactly what it's like. It's like, man, you just, you woke up anxious, you woke up worried about some things in your family or in the world, and it just seemed to be moving in the wrong direction. It, it just felt like your shoulders became heavier and heavier. And then someone just spoke to you, and they just said something to you that maybe seemed so simple, and, and yet it, all of a sudden it was just like, poof, 
You know, the, the weight that was there. It's like, why am I being, it, that's exactly what it's doing. And yet words are that. And I just speak into all of that to say, may you be someone who values that. Part of being a part of the body of Christ is to this, that we would be about that that we would be about those who give good words. If you're reading with us in the book of Hebrews, for example, you got to that passage there in, in Hebrews 10 where it tells us not to neglect uh, the gathering together, as is the manner of some, and always a good thing uh, you know, for us even in the coming church. But it prefaced that by saying, I want you to consider one another. I want you to think about one another so that you could stir them up to love and good works. How could I encourage somebody today? How could I, think, how could I look at somebody and say, I want to give them a good word? I want to speak something that says, boy, I just want to encourage you where you are. I want to encourage you both to love God or even move forward. And there's a powerful reality that in some senses, if you could look at what church is meant to be, that should happen. If you come into an evening like this and you leave without doing that to anybody, I think you've missed it. If, if, you, if you could come, I mean, part of coming together to church is not just to come sit and sing some songs and, uh, you know, hear, you know, teaching, though that's part of it. We are meant to be encouraging one another. You're supposed to be thinking a good word. That, you know, just, just speaking to somebody, telling them, reminding them that I care about them or asking them how I could pray for them. I mean, that could change things in people's world and that's what we need. And, and again, it, the, the dangerous thing is that if you're not, allowing the Bible to control that, you would see that as so small. Like, what, who am I to say anything? I mean, who am I to, you know, speak into somebody else's life? But a word, a good word, it changes. It can take somebody who's being just weighted down with anxiety and worry, and just a word from you could change them. And I just want to tell you, in, in this day and age, we need that. Would it be to God that you would look and say, that's how I try to live my life. You know, I want to be someone that is giving that good word, that is speaking that into people's lives and longing that it would be there. And I just long that this verse would become so much what we do. Okay, we'll leave that. Go to the next one, Proverbs uh, there, verse 26 uh, of chapter 12. It says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. So the righteous, we speak this about every time we gather on a Wednesday night, but it's again a good pause for us to say, who is that? Who's the righteous? Who is this one that would be defined as the righteous? Well, biblically, here's what we know. In the New Testament, it tells us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That the way that somebody becomes right with God, the only way that we can become right with God is through Jesus. That that should define who we are. That we are meant to be that. So much so that you should be able to say, hey, the Christian, <laughs> the Christian. You know, this is how, you, if you're really living the Christian life, this is who you, how you do it. So without that, without Jesus, there's no way to be made right. And that's really important because the danger is that you could come to the book of Proverbs and almost just hear it as, you know, morals for life. Like, hey, this is something that anybody can have. And I'm telling you, ultimately, no. The only way to really have these things is to have it in Jesus. And so if you have that tonight, that's who you are, I'll remind you of that, and then just call you to live it out. If you're here tonight and you don't have that, then we want to tell you that, you know, just trying to make good choices, that's not going to fix the whole thing. The only way to be made right with God is in Jesus. And then once you have that, it's like, I want to be who I am in Christ. I, I want to live that out in a practical way. And certainly Proverbs comes in to say, okay, if you are that person, this is how you should live. So who is the, how do we do that? Well, from this verse, he gives it to us this way. He says, the righteous, the one who is right with God and seeking to live that way, you should choose your friends carefully. You should be very careful about who is that person that you would allow to speak into your life for, and that's kind of the connecting, because this is true, the way of the wicked, the, the way that someone would go wrongly, he says that would lead you, uh, that, that way of the wicked, that would lead you astray. That would cause your life to be messed up. Pretty simple truth. Would to God that everybody believed it. I, I'm just speaking it. I, would to God that everybody in this room fully believed it. I think about how Paul would even say this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
End of story. And, and yet he just prophesies, says, don't lie to yourself. Don't think, well, you know what, that, that's probably true for other people, but I'm fine. I, I mean, I can have, you know, my closest friends can be unbelievers and not people that are righteous and the people that are speaking into my life. Yeah, they're living in rebellion. You know, it might bother you, but not me. You know, it's not going to change my life. It does. Maybe not in a day, but it does. And, and, and the per- way we, we should do this is we recognize if we want to be righteous in this world, we want to walk in the ways that God has for us, we should choose very carefully who our friends are. Now, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean we become pharisaical and cut ourselves off from the world. We're in this world for, to, to be light, the light of the gospel. If we have nobody that's you know, not a believer in our lives, that would be a bad thing. You know, Jesus did that. He was a friend of sinners. He was uh, one that shined into their life. We're not talking about you know, that kind of connections. We're talking about the person that you confide in, the person that you let speak into your life, the person that knows your struggles and your dreams, and, and you invest part of your heart, and you give them that space to speak into your life. We all have it. We all have people that are in that category. Choose those carefully. If you need to change them, change them, because it will change you. It will change you for evil, and not if you if you have a if you choose those to influence your life, they will shape who you are. So much better for you to say, I want to find people that you know they're godly and they're they're people that I look to, and I want to say, you speak into my life. I'm going to be intentional about that. I'm not going to let it just be haphazard. I'm not going to let, you know, just circumstances or other, I'm going to choose my friends carefully because the way of the wicked leads us astray. I don't know how to say that better. I wish I could. It's so clear. And yet I can tell you in my years as a pastor, I've watched it happen over and over again. I've watched it happen over and over again. People just begin hanging out with other people that aren't believers, and then pretty soon it's like, ah, yeah, and it deadens their hearts. It pulls them away. And I can say this, I know where this is going to take you. I know what this is going to do. Would God rescue you if that's happening now? May you choose carefully those who you allow to speak into your life. Okay. Leaving that, we go back to one of the verses that deal with laziness and diligence, and it says it to us this way. A lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting. But diligence is a man's precious possession. It's a powerful truth. It's kind of funny if you can actually just think it through. It's one of those little humorous ones if you can think of it. It says, here's this lazy person, and, you know, they go out hunting. They go out and they, and they hunt, and then they don't do anything with it. You know, they don't, they don't even roast what they, what they took in hunting. But he contrasted diligence, on the other hand, the person who would walk in this is man's precious possession. Now, Here's what I know. Some of you are hunters, and so you get a little grasp of this. Although, again, we live in the, the day and age where most people that hunt today, they don't hunt because you know, they need food. They hunt because they enjoy, and that's not a bad thing. But I just want you to think, this is that world. This is, this is, when, when they're talking about hunting, they're talking about this is how we survive. And so you imagine this person, they go out and they go hunting. They spend all the time that it takes to you know, track some animal down, and then they kill it, and then they're just like, eh, I don't feel like doing it. You know, I don't feel like cleaning. I don't feel like, I mean, that's, just, that's, my, that's not the fun part of the whole thing. And, and, and so they just let the meat go bad. They, they, they waste it. And God looks at it and says, How, what, a, what a terrible thing, you know, for someone that would be this. And, and what a foolish way to live your life, to, to, to let that be the way that you do that. So the contrast, it says if you can be diligent, you can be somebody who is diligent, who's careful, who's intentional, who's not lazy, that would be a precious possession for you. Now, I wish I could say this better, but I'm just going to pause and say this is, a, this is one of those verses that's really kind of precious to me, if I can say it that way. Years ago, just had the Lord speak it in my life, and I wrote it down. I keep it in my desk. I keep it on my desk to this day. You know, that it's right there where I can pull it out, and it just reminds me, be faithful you know, diligence. I mean, I just have the last part of it written down there. Diligence is a man's precious possession. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to be one that, you know, fritters away my day or fritters away the space that I have. And I I find myself thinking about this as a pastor, as a teacher, just saying, God, I want to be one that's found diligent. I want to be someone that's not, you know, like, you know, 
for me, you know, using the illustration, finding a text of scripture and it's a great text and then not doing anything with it. Like not, not spending the, the, the hours that it takes to both understand it and figure out how to communicate. It's as if, you know, for me, this verse just spoke to me and, and just said, Jim, this is what I want you to be. And, and, I, and I long for it. I long to say, that is a precious place. If you could find that place where, where you're diligent, not because you're driven by somebody else, but you're driven by, by what you are. And again, that's, that's much to be said in that. Again, we live in a world where sometimes, for some people, they're diligent um, when other people make them diligent. You know, kind of that all day, you know, when, when the boss is watching, everybody's faithful, you know, but when the boss isn't watching, when you, when you are just there, do you have that? And there's a powerful place that the Bible calls us to walk in diligence, to allow that to be you know, what God would have for us and certainly that which he would long for our lives. May God just show it to you in a way that I wish I could communicate it well, but I'm just telling you it's pretty, pretty powerful. Just to think, okay, this is a very different world um, to, to be drawn into that and just to invite us to be not lazy people, uh, to be diligent in the way that we walk in things. Well, that takes us to the last verse of chapter 12. He says, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Powerfully, just said this way. So if you're going to live this righteous life, you're going to walk it out. You want to be a Christian and walk the Christian life out. You want to be right with God. He says that way of righteousness, it's life-giving. It's life. It's good. And he says, you know, in its pathway, there's no death. That there, there's nothing that's a part of that. And it's a simple statement, but you need to hear it because Satan is constantly advertising the opposite. Satan's, one of Satan's lies is that if you would be righteous, that would be boring. I mean, somehow, you know, what God would want for our life is to be a killjoy and to make life miserable. And, and Satan's advertisement in the world is that fun and joy and life are in sin, but it's not there. It's a lie. It was a lie from the beginning. It's a lie now. I think about what Jesus said, where he simply said, you know, the thief does not come except to still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He says, if you look over here, here's the thief. Here's what sin, Satan, and our world do. They, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. They would destroy you. They would kill you. They would take from you. That's what it does. But Jesus says, here's what I have for you. Here's what I would give you. He says, I want to give you life. And, and that wouldn't just be, you know, lowball life. It would be life to the abundance. It would be abundant life that life is found in Jesus' course and the course of life that would be his. And it's a powerful, again, just thing just to say, I want you to hear it because Satan is lying and he's lying to some of you now just telling you that somehow, you know, if I, you know, did other things and I went into the world, maybe that would be, you know, more fun. It would not. It, it has a big promise, but it lies, and it steals, and it destroys. Believe it. Believe that right now that the way of righteousness is life, and there's no death in it. Like, there's nothing that brings, you know, now or forever, it, it's, it's a good course of life, and there's a way of just inviting you and I to believe that it is so, and that that place of life would be where we are, that you would be invited into walking in that. May God strengthen that in you now. All right, well, that brings us to the end of uh, chapter 12. So now if you have a, the other book that you can pack, grab uh, booklet 13 or just turn in your Bibles there and we'll just start our way into chapter 13. But obviously we're not gonna make it all the way through the chapter, um, but we'll make it a little bit and just see a couple of the Proverbs in here so that God could speak to us that which he has for us. Well, Proverbs 13, verse one, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. So we're watching this. He says, here's a wise son. A wise son, you know, heeds or his father's instruction. By the way, I probably need to say this about every time we work through the book of Proverbs uh, because I'm putting it on the screen and trying to underline it that way. One of the reasons I like the New King James Version is because the way it kind of helps us understand the original language. Um, so it was written in Hebrew, and so when it was translated into English, English sentence structure is different, and so sometimes the, the translators added words into the text 
so that it kind of filled out a sentence for us and would make just sense. But when they did so, here in the New King James Version, it would always show you, and so it would put it in italics. So like the word heeds is in italics there, and so it's good to read it there, but also to make sure you don't land there. And so sometimes just read it without it. It would just be a wise son, his father's instruction. A wise son, you know, it's, it's a father's instruction speaks into that and, and speaks into his life. In contrast, he says a scoffer, one who is not wise, who is just pushing back against everything that's in there, says he doesn't listen to rebuke. He doesn't listen to rebuke. Now, in each one of these Proverbs, we could always go deeper because the, it, part of it is to understand the contrast. And if we have lots more time in each one of them, you could do more. But you might just pay the attention to the contrast now. In one sense, we get it. We see a wise son contrasted with a scoffer. That makes sense. But one of the interesting things is even to notice that we're looking at a father's instruction compared to rebuke. Those are actually two different things. Instruction is just you know, giving you wisdom, just speaking guidance into your life. Rebuke is confronting you and telling you no. And he says a wise son listens, not just when he's being rebuked, but he's just, he's just soaking in, like, tell me, <laughs> give me wisdom. But a foolish son not only doesn't listen to wisdom, it refuses just being corrected. Like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't tell me how to live my life. You know, that kind of thing. And he says, that's a scoffer, and it would be a bad way to live. True in families, true in the family of God. May you be a wise son, who is a wise son, wise daughter of God that would say, God, just want to hear you. I want to hear your, I want to hear your wisdom. I want to, you know, listen to your rebuke. I don't want to be one that's pressing away from that in any way. May God make it so. Verse two, a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. So the good thing is this eating well, this place of satisfying or being satisfied or being just met by that. He says that happens by your words, by the flowing out of your words. Your words influence even your ability to enjoy and and find life in all that God has for you. But the contrast, the soul of the unfaithful, the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. So this is one of those ones, again, that just the contrast between the good and the evil is kind of interesting. In one sense, we're looking at that the good is held to one who is being satisfied, the one who's walking in that. But at the contrast isn't this picture of someone being unsatisfied, though that would be true. It's the unfaithful, the one who's, who's not responding. And so you're kind of looking at it in a different level and saying, okay, that's true. And you would be able to say, okay, the man who's eating well, he's faithful. You know, that would be the way it works. But the soul of the unfaithful, it, it's not getting that. Says the man who, who will eat well, he'll do so by the fruit of his mouth, that, that that would be something that would flow even the way that flows out of your words. But the one who is the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. And it could be said that, you know, they, they, they just try to take things on their own. That's probably part of it. But honestly, it's, it's in one sense saying that's what they're going to get. You know, their, their own self-destructive tendencies are going to be what they chew, what becomes their meat and their food in their life, which is a terrible thing, that is a, is a terrible place to be and calling us in so many ways, like, that's not the life that you want. You want one who is trying to walk in God's ways, who's careful with your words and thinking through all that that would be and allowing that to begin to become the fruit that would impact your life in powerful ways. With that, he returns again to kind of this idea of, of guarding what we say, says, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. So saying it again, this place of saying we should be those who don't say everything we think. We guard our mouth. He says, not only would that be good for God, not only would that be good for others, it'll protect you. <laughs> I mean, if you would be one, it's like, I just, I am careful in the things that I say. I guard my mouth. In contrast, he says, you know, the one who just opens wide his lips, who just says everything that's come, it'll bring in destruction in your life. It'll be a downfall to you. It'll be a place where that goes badly in your life. And certainly it's true. May you be one that values your words and, and watches carefully over again what you say. Well, you can turn the page. Verse 4 of chapter 13. The soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent will be made rich. 
So again, we're kind of going back to this idea of laziness. Says, Here's this soul of this lazy man. He desires and has nothing. Again, you might just kind of pay attention to the, the words that were added into the English here and just the italicized words and just read it without it because it's just kind of stark in its contrast. The soul of a lazy doesn't, the, the word man isn't actually in the text. The soul of the lazy desires and nothing. It's just, it desires, but nothing. <laughs> it, it just, that, that's where it lands. And there's, there's something that, that isn't there at all. But the soul of the diligent, he says, this person who is you know, faithful and trying to work well, trying to use their time, he says that will bring richness. That will bring satisfaction. And again, just calling us to it, saying, hey, there's a way to live your life. Laziness becomes a bad thing. This place of diligence becomes a place that brings blessing into our life. And it's definitely the way that God has for us to live. Verse five. A righteous man hates lying, but the wicked man is loathsome and and comes to shame. So we look at the righteous. We look here again. He says, so the righteous, this person, this man or woman is righteous, says he hates lying. Looks at says, I hate lies. Lies are grievous to me and hate it when that happens. I hope that's you, by the way. I, I hope that's who you are. I, I know for me, it's a little bit that way. I know in raising our children, you know, telling them over the years is like, there's like almost nothing you could do that's more offensive to me than lie to me. You know, it's like that, you know, that's, you, you just don't, I hate lies. I hate being deceived. Just, I'd rather deal with the truth, you know, in, in all that's there. And the righteous person should be there. But the wicked person, the contrast, the one who's walking in that, who's not that righteous person, is loathsome and comes to shame. So the contrast is kind of an interesting one. And, and just kind of as you try to reason this apart, so we're looking at the righteous and the wicked um, the righteous man hates lying uh, in the midst of it, but the wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. So obviously there is lying as a part of it, but it, it's interesting that in some senses the contrast is the hatred. It says the righteous man hates lying, and the wicked man, if I could say it differently, is hated. Uh, the righteous man hates lying, but the wicked man, because he embraces all that that is, he becomes the one who is, is loathsome and repulsive in the way that they live. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, the, the word that, that speaks of loathsome, it would actually in the Hebrew speak of um, almost something that's repugnant in its smell. The kind of the thing is like, man, it stinks. <laughs> it's just like, like, Ugh, you know, like this. He says, that's how it becomes. You know, you don't want to be someone that people would find loathsome, find just terrible to be around and shameful. Instead, we should be those who long for the right way that God has us to live. Long to live in all that that is and inviting us to that. Continuing, verse six, it goes again to the righteous. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but the wickedness overthrows the sinner. Simple realities, again, just speaking in there. So the person who's right, the person who's trying to live right with God, it guards him. It's guard, it guards the one whose way is blameless. That this righteousness becomes protection. It becomes that which is a rescuing thing and protects us in our, in our course. But wickedness, the one who's going to say, okay, I'm going to not do what God wants. I'm going to go against God's ways. I'm going to reject God's plan for my life. He says, that will be your undoing. That God's word is good for us. It's good into our lives to reject it. It's, it's not just that God is, you know, doing, you know, trying to say things against it. It would be that that would hurt you. And again, we, we, we just step straight forward into the lie that Satan speaks. Because Satan's lie, again, is that God is trying to keep something from you. To keep something that would be satisfying. And God is telling you, no. <laughs> I'm trying to protect you from destruction. I'm trying to protect you from that which would harm you and hurt you. That sin is never a blessing. It would always be robbing and killing and destroying. And he says, if you go against what God says, it overthrows. It becomes that that undoes your life. And needing to believe that would draw us into the life that God would have for us. Okay. Again, just speaking to us, guiding us hopefully towards the course that God would have. You can flip the page. We'll do a few more. There in verse 7, it says, There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and the one who makes himself poor and has great riches. So again, it kind of calls into this. This speaks into the idea of generosity, of being a, a person who is generous. Is kind of the theme in the midst of it. It says, there's one who spends his whole life just trying to be rich, 
trying to gain money, trying to get stuff, trying to get things. He says, but when you really look at his life, he has nothing. He has nothing. For all that he pursues and all that he that it makes his life about, it brings into emptiness. Then he says, on the other hand, there's one who makes himself poor, who you know, is giving away and sharing their life with others and being a part of it. He says, you know, yet that person has great riches. And again, it calls us into a life that would just embrace it in a very different way. Sin and this world would call you to be incredibly selfish, to care only about you, to care just say it's about me and my life and what I have, and I don't care about anybody else. And God says, no, we would be those It's not about that. And the, and the crazy thing is the more that we are blessing, we find God blessing us. That he's saying, hey, when you make your, even if you give away that what you have, there's more riches to it. It's a, it's a greater riches and a greater wealth, and certainly that which God would call all the way through Scripture, just calling us into that space. Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear rebuke. Okay, quick pause. This one's a difficult one. I mean, in one sense, to even understand the contrast. Uh, Bible students have wrestled with it through the years, and uh, there are a couple of different ways to take it, but probably uh, the, the way that's most held by most Bible students is to understand it this way, that when we look at this, he says, okay, the ransom of a, rich, of, 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 a, of a man's life is his riches, and so we're looking at somebody who has it. So, so we would say that first part would probably be a negative thing, so the ransom of somebody's life would be their riches. And so we might just simply say it this way. The person who so often does become wealthy, has that, so often in one sense they end up paying ransom. I mean, they end up, you know, people trying to get things from them. I mean, you, you, you understand the idea of ransom. I mean, it's the idea of, okay, so you have enough money that somebody looks at you and says, okay, I'm going to, you know, kidnap your kid, or I'm going to do something, so you have to pay a ransom, because what you have brings you into trouble, and here's the reality. Uh, many of you guys know at least some measure of that, but if you ever, if you, if you've, people who really have been blessed financially in our world would say, hey, that's so true, that so often the riches that you have, it sounds like, hey, it's going to be great having all of that, but it so often puts you into a place that you are constantly being forced to pay almost a ransom, that people are taking from you and putting you in a place that they're wanting you to work that. And so the contrast would be in one sense to see kind of the value of this. He says, but here's this poor person that doesn't have that, that doesn't have this whole place, and, and they don't even have it. They don't even hear that rebuke. They don't, you know, in one sense, because, you know, you, you can't get blood out of a turnip, I guess, kind of deal. It's like, what do you get from that person? You can't get anything from them, you know? It's like, so in one sense, it's like, they, they leave me alone. Like, it's kind of a crazy thing. I mean, the, the, the weight that so often falls on other people isn't that. Now, again, I don't speak this in either way to speak condemnation to it. Again, maybe you are blessed, and, and maybe God has blessed you financially, and that's part of your trial. Sometimes it's just helpful to see that and go, that's true. That sometimes it would be really helpful to just know that people were actually interested in you because they wanted something from you, that they weren't trying to put you into a position that your money became helpful to them. And you feel like, I'm constantly being ransomed. I'm constantly having people want my things from me. And again, that, that's where you are. There's just a statement of fact. But again, if you're not there, if you're like, well, that's not a problem for me. There's not anybody that wants what I got. You know, In one sense, there's part of it saying, that's valuable. That's a valuable place because there are things, there are troubles I don't have. There are troubles that you know, sometimes maybe God is, is protecting me from a place of that, and there's a beauty to that. Again, it's not a statement here of saying, okay, either one of these is pure righteousness or pure evil. It's just a statement of fact that this is true in life, and sometimes it's just helpful to see that, to be able to say, that's true. God is defining what it looks like and, and helping us kind of see what that is, and so probably the best way to kind of understand this verse, calling us just to see the value of that. Okay, verse 9. It says that the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we're talking again about the righteous. We're seeing who this is. And he's saying, okay, so the light of the righteous, the one who is that, there is a sense of joy. There is a sense of it's being able to be rejoicing. And almost in this sense, the idea of rejoices is unquenched and, and unfettered in so many ways in its life. We see that because the contrast 
is the lamp of the wicked, the, 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 the light or the lack of light, in a sense, in the wicked. He says, it's going to go out. It, it's only going to, you know, it will burn out quickly. And I want you just to think about this for a moment, because certainly in so many ways, you know, we would look at this and say, okay, you know, so someone chooses to reject God, reject his ways, reject his word, and maybe buy into the lie that we've talked a little bit about tonight that says, well, maybe Satan's telling me the truth. Maybe these are good things. He says, that is going to burn you out. You know, that you've rejected the, the God's ways, you've rejected that which is good, you've rejected what God has for you, and there's a sense that you could look there at any life and say, this isn't going to last long, because Jesus is telling me the truth. You know, he says, you know, that the thief comes in to rob, kill, and destroy. So someone that rejects God's ways, you could look and say, that's going to go out. That's going to be a life that diminishes. That's going to be, you know, they might look like it for a moment. You know, they might be like, isn't this great? Look at me. You know, we're so happy, you know, you know, rejecting God's ways, you know, you know, joining in some maybe homosexual marriage or some crazy thing. Look at us. We're so, isn't this great that we just reject what God has? And you can look and say, that's not going to go well for you. You know, God is not, he's not a killjoy. He's not trying to, he's trying to protect you and that's going to end badly for you. You're going to watch this, the, the lamp go down and go out from anybody that rejects God's plan for their life. But for the person who says, no, I believe it. I believe God's ways are the best. I believe his plans for my life are the best things. There's a sustainingness. There's a life-givingness to this. There's a place that you could say, that light remains, both now and forever, really, where Daniel would tell us in the book of Daniel that those who walk in righteousness, that, you know, that they're going to shine like the stars of the heaven. Those who, who allow their light to shine even into the world, they'll, they'll be like that. And there's a, a way of just longing that it would be so. You know, I just want to call you to that. I want to call you tonight to that righteousness, and maybe that's a good place for us to begin to end up tonight is we've talked a lot about just the different things in different ways of, you know, whether it be just our words, where we've talked about diligence, and we've talked about things that God has. I just want you to see it. I just want you to almost just plot the course with me and say, he's telling us the truth. If I reject this, if I reject what God has, it's going to go badly for me. But if I believe it, if I believe it, if the, the light of the righteous, it's going it's to shine with not being put out, not being the one that's going to be there, but it's going to continue to shine. And I want to you, call you to that. I want to call you to, to recognize just the blessing of walking in God's ways that Jesus is telling us, you know, that I'll give you life and life abundantly if you'll walk in my ways. But I also just want to close telling you, oh, that you, oh, may we do that intentionally. I think about it there in Matthew 5, when Jesus is telling us that, he just looks out at his disciples and says, you're it. You're the light of the world. That this world, it, it's dark. I mean, everything else out there, it's, it's a lie. And, and it's consuming people's lives. It's destroying people's lives. It's darkness. He doesn't look at us and say, hey, you're a light. He says, you're it. You're the light of the world. Let your light so shine that, that people might see your light, see your good works, he says, and glorify your Father in heaven. God is calling us to be a people that are walking in the righteousness he has for us, are saying, you know what, I, I want to be this person who is generous, who is diligent, who is, you know, careful with my words and, and restrains all of these things, you know, not just because they're the right way to live, but I want people to see my Jesus. I want them to see, hey, I'm rescued from the, the misery that sin brings into this world. He's fixing the brokenness in my life, and part of the reason I want to do this, why I want to let my light so shine, is so people would understand that. And, and, and people would see what we have. And I just invite you to that. I invite you in a fresh way to, again, in all that Proverbs is speaking, that that would be there. And again, hopefully tonight, not only is this just washed over you where it's generically or generally true, but maybe one of these tonight, you're like, huh, that's the one. That's the one that my light isn't shining really well there. That's the place that I'm struggling a little bit, but I want it. Because I want people to see God's ways are better. God's ways are better. The world's wrong. You know, laziness is never going to make somebody happy. The world's wrong. 
You know, it's never going to go well for you to be selfish and self-centered. That's the world. It's, it's a lie. And, and I wanted to know it for me, but I want people to see just the right things that God has for us. And so I just invite you to that. I invite you to be the light, to, to, to say, okay, we're it, and, and may people see it in you. And, you know, that might be as simple as a word, a good word flowing out of your life speaking to people that you would say, God, I, I, I want to be that person who, you know, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my job, I want to be the person that even a word could change the atmosphere in the room, change the atmosphere of somebody's heart, and, and, and just to let the light shine. And hopefully people go like, man, that's amazing. How did you do that? It's like, well, I'd love to tell you. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to tell you how, how I've been rescued from some of those things. And God is at work in my life. And may God just cause that to be seen. You know, we close this and just say, you know, I long that we would be the light of the world, but maybe it's even to you this evening. Maybe even to someone joining us online, maybe in the overflow, maybe in this place. And you just, you need it. Yeah, you know, in a sense that you need to understand there is hope. The, the world is lying. Uh, the, 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 the hopes in this world, the dreams of this world, the messages of this world, they're destroying lives all the time. And maybe you've seen that. And maybe you've come into the place of just thinking, hey, that's where everything is doing. There's hope. There is life. There is light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the rescue that, that gets to come in there. He makes us right with God. And we long that our lives would show that. And if that's you this evening, we just would long that even tonight, you would just find yourself surrendered to that and being drawn into that. So with that as a close, let's go before God now and just ask that he would help us to be the light into this dark world. Father, we do just pray for any that are in that space right now. Just the thief is robbing and killing and destroying. Sin is destroying their lives. Their light is going out. God, would you rescue? Would you rescue even now? Would you cause that person to be drawn to you? But then, Lord, I speak to those of us who are yours. And I just want to say, God, your ways are the best way. Your, your ways are right. They're not just guesses. You're not just giving opinions. Your ways, the ways you'd have us to live are right. Where we've bought into a lie, rescue us from it. Rescue us and direct us into the course that you would have for us. Lord, both for our own just joy, but also that people would see you, that people would see our light, that we as the light of the world would shine in what we say, in what we do, and how we walk through life, that the light of Christ would shine in us and through us. God, would you make that just more true? Would you make us walk in that in powerful ways? And thanking you right now for who you are in that work as we just submit that to you in Jesus' name. Amen.